Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebri. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week, we have a special guest, Jake DeSersa of the Lousy Advice Podcast. Welcome. And Lousy Advice. And, and, and Lousy Advice. And Lightweight. And Lightweight. And is there anything else you want to plug, Jake? Tell us about um, yourself. You know what? I will plug that the first episode of the relaunch of Dead of Night is coming out April 15th, which is Ooh. a horror cult and exploitation podcast to do with my wife, Nicole. Oh, shit. That's... Yeah. Hell um, yeah. We're relaunching it in a new format, and it's finally going to be coming out next week. Where That's my other are we plug. going to be able to listen to this? Uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever your podcasts are sold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and and well, it's Crispy Jake. It's Crispy Jake. Yeah. Oh, my apologies. Yeah. My apologies. That, that's my yeah. podcast name. That's the official. That's the radio DJ. Yeah. Uh, Crispy Jake in the AM on the ones and twos. Is that also your Venmo? Yeah, it's at, it's at change, Crispy Jake. <laughs> change it to Crispy I Jake. Should. Do it. I'm getting right now. Um, <laughs> are you really? <laughs> oh my god! On yes. It. Okay. Well, this week on the Nostalgia Podcast, we're talking about uh, Jake's favorite movie, The Thing. Um, we're talking about the thing that came to Earth and the thing. The thing from another world. The thing oh, did I say it? the thing oh. from another world? I wrote it here too, and I'm just like <laughs> riffing off of nonsense. Excuse you know what? No, we have to get it right. You're correct. I'm just like, hey, do you know this fact? That's not a fact because I'm you spreading misinformation. You don't want film Twitter to pounce on you, dude. Oh, they, <laughs> if if at any point film Twitter gets a hold of this podcast, we'll, we'll have already been pounced. I've said <laughs> I've said so many untrue things <laughs> based in pure emotion <laughs> on this podcast. We've had people already yell at us. Uh, about um, <laughs> really, yeah. yeah. Um, about like our one of our Tim Burton episodes. Um, very very strong words there. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll tell you yeah. about it later. They were yeah, really upset with us, sure. but I mean, I love it. Let's uh, yeah. Open we do this shit love up. having constructive conversations about media when people disagree with us. Oh we yeah, sure. that. yeah. Because even on my end too, as somebody who's a consumer, I'm not smart. Um, despite how I come across here, I am very, very not smart. So I will speak in pure conjecture. <laughs> like I will not check facts. I will just be like, yes. And then this movie came out in 73. It was 96. Sure. Uh. Um, so uh. what's everybody's. So I know with me, I hadn't, I didn't realize the thing was a remake of a film from the 1950s. So that was pretty wild to me. I also had not seen The Thing or I, I hadn't seen it and like remembered it. I think I watched it 15 years ago and I liked it. But this whole watching experience was totally new to me. So I'm very excited to have revisited this after so much time. So yeah, also the board game is great. What about you, Eric? What's your relationship? Oh, I have literally no history with The Thing <laughs> at all. I've literally never seen... I've like... I mean... I think, uh, what was that game where you put on the DVD and then you play like a board game and answer questions? Seen it. Seen it. I got a question right on seen it one time about the thing based on, <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a, a screenshot of like the open chest cavity on the table with yeah, like the teeth. Yeah. Um, and I was like, oh, I think that's the thing. And I got it right. And I was like, oh. Hell yeah. Okay. Uh, but I had never seen it. I, ne I didn't even know it was a remake. I didn't know there was a remake of the remake. I know nothing and about a prequel and, and another remake coming out. There's another out. one coming out. 
Oh, amazing. My goodness. Oh, it's it's because of Among Us, huh? Uh, no, it's because of uh, <laughs> the success of Blumhouse's Halloween reboot. So they're like, what other John Carpenter shit can we drag out? Oh, no shit. Yeah. Wow. I mean, well, maybe we should just do that and the other one, too. Like, round this out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, um, Jake. So behind you is an entire spread of all of yeah, your of thing stuff. the thing of thing stuff. Yeah. Tell us tell us about the thing. Um so the thing the 1982 thing is my favorite movie of all time. John Carpenter is my favorite director and Kurt Russell is my favorite actor. Mm. So this for me is just an absolute home run all around. Um I remember watching it for the first time and just being like enamored with the the way that uh Carpenter and Dean Cundey use the camera to build dread in the way that they do in this. And it's just ever since I've just been, I just watch it a couple times a year pretty much. Wow. Hell yeah. yeah. I know that was something that I do want to talk about too. That's something I noticed uh, in the John Carpenter movie was a lot of those like lingering scenes of reactions of stuff happening. Yeah. Like as a, as a means to like build suspense and dread, like, Oh, you don't know what's happening. They don't know what's happening. Shit. <laughs> like the fade to black with the dog, right? Like you yeah. see oh, yeah. him and then just fade to black. And then you uh like even the ending is just like really ambiguous and like there there was all of these moments where it just kind of let the weight of what is happening just kind of like sit there. And I really liked that. That was completely yeah. different in the first one. The first yes. one, oh. my goodness. <laughs> the first one's a, a really boring play. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I had yeah, never cool. seen it. I had never seen it, so I'm I I was surprised. There's some some about the first one that I'm really excited to talk about. Uh, Same. Just because it is gay. <laughs> if I don't know, well, I mean, we'll obviously get into it in a moment. Yeah. But um, something I have to say yeah. too about the thing and why I came to love it is because I love you know I love an underdog, and the movie Mark, when Mark. it came out was uh, a failure in all senses of the word. Uh, critical failure, box office failure. Um, I think Roger Ebert gave it like a two star review and was like, this is like so much worse than the original one. The director Whoa. of the original one talked shit on it. The actress Damn. from the original one talked shit on it. Like everybody, like it was, it was just, just drug through the mud, but it, you know, over the years it found its audience and is now, when you, if you look up the top horror films of all time, this movie is generally on there because yeah. it's found its audience and people have finally started to understand it and what, and what it's doing and what it's about. Rightfully so, too. Yeah. Um, like, I feel like there's a lot of films that we review on this pod that, you know, like 2001 was a bomb. Uh, Willy Wonka yeah. was a bomb. Like, and then over the years, it kind of it found its audience. And, you know, since then kind of was appreciated for what it was and what it was doing and what it was saying. And, yeah, I think that it's always surprising to me you know, this person that goes to all of the comic conventions and like, you know, kind of like exists in this space where I just consume way too much media, right? That like anybody <laughs> ever, for anybody to ever not like works like the thing is just completely wild to me. Yeah, I've, I I mean, Jake, honestly, you're one of the only people I know who talks about it. <laughs> yeah. Not, and I don't mean that yeah. as like a dig. I just mean that in yeah. the sense of I'm so far removed from the thing as like an idea as a thing uh in general i'm so far <laughs> removed from it but i mean i what a treat i like honestly i was really excited to watch it and i'm happy i did shall we get into it yeah let's do it here let's do it. Cool.
In Anchorage, Alaska, sometime in the mid-1900s, an Air Force crew led by Captain Patrick Hendry received orders to fly to a desolate research outpost at the North Pole, where a group of scientists have requested their support. On their trip, the group is joined by Ned Scott, a journalist desperate for a good story, when they hear a radio transmission detailing an unusual aircraft crash nearby. After they arrive, Henry immediately makes his way to see his old flame, Nikki Nicholson, the secretary of the leading scientist, and uncomfortably questions her about their previous romance. Soon thereafter, the scientists and the Air Force men head out to the previously mentioned crash site where they find a UFO and promptly, without hesitation, blow it up. Surely nothing could have survived that, right? Wrong! We're just getting started! The scientists find a body encased in ice using a Geiger counter and decide to take the whole chunk of ice back to their encampment. After a big oopsie-daisy on one of the soldiers' part, the ice is melted and the alien is freed. The alien starts wreaking havoc on the camp, losing an arm in the process, which is studied by the scientists. As it turns out, the alien is a vampire-slash-super-vegetable that must be stopped. After lots of plot twists and arguing between the military and scientists, the creature is finally destroyed by the military and the journalist gets the big ol' green light to tell his story to the world. The end. Woo! The thing from another world. That's the theme song. Um, keep watching the skies. Keep watching the skies. Eyes on the skies. Eyes on the prize? No. <laughs> the um, skies. This movie was, was boring. A movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. First yeah. and foremost, above all else, this movie was so boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, I love... Well, I don't love, but some of those like classic monster movies are kind of cool and like at least pseudo uh, like semi interesting. But even the moments where like the thing did show up, it was just fucking Frankenstein with no makeup and gills on his arms. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> this is not this is <laughs> this is silly. And then all the dialogue was just like that. I wrote the the um, oh, it was infuriating. The opening was- scene. I was just like, this is like literally one of the most boring conversations. Like, well, what do you say about bikinis? Well, I'm playing poker. And then the guy showed up and he said, you should talk to the lady. The lady's here? No, it's the captain. You're like, wait, what? (laughs) There was too much dialogue. I couldn't tell what was happening. I was just like, wait a second. I had to like rewind a minute or two because (laughs) like, I feel like there's a lot of old movies that do this where they just throw in a lot of dialogue that really has nothing to do with the story or character development or anything in place of something actually happening in the scene or something interesting and it was really infuriating to me because most of that throwaway dialogue was about like objectifying women oh yeah like um all of those lines are about like you said like oh there's bikini babes in ecra and they wear nothing but bikinis and dote on you or well the girls in seattle uh don't have fur pants (laughs) ha 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 and then like when they talk about the um when we first are introduced to the idea of Nikki existing in the world, they call her a pinup girl at the North Pole. And like, they're trying to be like, oh, you got the details, Captain? Like, I want that. And then like, at one point, they like relate aliens to women, you know, like they have the same reaction to to the war effort boys. And I was like, I, I can't, like, this is just so frustrating. And especially because like, Nikki herself is like, just basically an objectified barista where she just like half of her lines in the movie are asking if people want coffee. And she also is the one that saves the day by literally stating the obvious, like, Oh fire. Right. Oh, do this. (laughs) And like, I, 
it was just really frustrating. And especially because like her relationship with the captain is like just incredibly gross. Like he literally comes into her room and is being just really overbearing and literally backing her into a corner with all of these questions. And that's supposed to be flirting. Like I have a lot of things to say about them and that dynamic. I will say there was a level of her that I liked that she was like, I mean, obviously I, the fuck that guy's character was shitty and he was just being like a dumb guy, but momentarily it was like, she was like constantly belittling him and his fragile ego at all times. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, that's an interesting take for this. Obviously it's not like the character is not written as autonomously as a character should be written, but even in the dialogue, there were moments that I was like, oh, okay. Like, I mean, she's there, making fun of him. I like this. There were. And I did like those moments. But every yeah. one of those moments was always like, for instance, let's go to the scene where his hands are tied behind his back while oh, she gives him so shots, weird. right? Like, <laughs> let's talk about objectification and, like, you know, fantasy women, right? She, That's what she's there for, right? The way that she talks to him, even when she's belittling him, is still kind of like that fantasy dynamic, right? Where it's like, oh, she's in power. But she's never actually really in power in the conversation, in what's happening in the scene. Even in that scene where he's tied up, he's not actually tied up. He got out of that a long time ago, and he's just playing along, you know? So, like, even though it seems like she has the upper hand, she really never does. And she also constantly rewards him. She's like... I like how you handled that. Uh, you're nicer when you're not mad. I'll buy you drinks. You earned it. And I'm like, and he's like, he's, <laughs> oh my he's, God. he's the most fragile baby of any, like, so worried. Oh she leaves him the note God. and he's like, what if they saw? She's like, shut the fuck up. Who cares? And he's like, no, but they could have made fun of me. She's like, and? <laughs> and, yeah. and okay, great. Like, well, I should I care about this? No, you should leave now. And he's like, fine. She's like, but you're hot. And he's like, what? And she's like, get out of my room. And you're like, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. See, if she would have like stayed to that and not like, at, yeah. like towards the end, been like being there as kind of a prize for him. Yeah. I like I loved when she was like, uh, he's like, look, I liked you. That's my excuse. I, I started all wrong. And she's like, oh, OK, well, how would you have started? And he's like, well, that's a whole story. And she's like, oh, a whole story. I don't have time for this shit. <laughs> and she just <laughs> leaves. And I was like, cool. I like this. But yeah. then, like, that strong moment was just every other scene after that was just kind of, like, demoting her as a character. And it was just, it was cool that there was a woman in this. But, you know, the <laughs> next one has no fucking women. Yeah. But um, I, Actually, we'll talk about it. But there's actually, I'm going to argue there's maybe two women in the, in the next one. But Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm excited yeah. to talk about yeah. it. Oh, the computer? Oh, <laughs> that's that's oh. at least one of them. <laughs> I do I do have like a little section on yes. on on quote unquote women. because um, I think the next one is hella gay. Oh hella gay. Really? Yeah. Hella queer. I mean I mean, yes, but I feel like okay, so if we're jumping into that, I feel like this one is way more overt. The other I, one was more subtextual. This one was more like, oh, he's straight up looking at his wiener. Like he they're locking <laughs> eyes, he's licking his lips, like they are gonna fuck very soon. Like that's all I could see. It was yeah. what was the scene? I wrote it he's like uh McHenry like asked that one guy, he's like, Captain, can I borrow you for a minute? He's like, Oh yeah, they're hush talking. And the guy who's like telling him whatever he's telling him keeps staring at his lips. He will not look away from this other guy's lips. And I was like, okay, stop. And then (laughs) the captain asks him, are you getting nervous? And then the guy like giggles and like crosses his arms. And I'm like, this is all flirty body behavior. Like, what are they doing? And then 
uh, he mentions that he got the lieutenant an electric blanket, and then the guy clears his throat, and that's when he does the full look down and back up of him, like the full, mm-hmm. like yeah, they're fucking, they're <laughs> all of these guys, and yeah. this also leads to like the idea of their overt sort of like objectification of women and how performative it is right amongst each other there's like this level of like yeah well she's got big boobs and i like boobs and yeah (laughs) fucking women in bikinis yeah bikinis are so hot like that which is pretty much all of the conversations that they're having yeah to me i'm like this is while they talk over each other yes they're talking over (laughs) each other constantly it's like this super overt heterosexual performance And then when they're in like quiet, confined spaces, they're less performative and more comfortable with each other in this way that feels very homoerotic. At least. I mean, that's that's what it felt like to me. And I was just waiting for it. Obviously, I was like kind of hoping, not hoping that there would be an intentional plot device where like they're gay. That's why they were the subjects of the story or something. But I mean, it's the 50s. I doubt that that's going to happen. I mean, that's why they had to put a woman there. Right. Yeah. Probably yes. It's probably a case of the not gays. Yeah. The not gays, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not gay. Yeah. I yeah. mean that would also hard, make hard sense as to like why the captain is so doting on all of those men, right? Because like they, they do start off talking about women and women, women, women. Oh yeah, give me the details on those women. And like I was really surprised by some of the captain's behavior when his men felt like they could go to him and say, like, hey, I'm actually really scared. Like, you know, um, also the other guy is really scared. What can we do? Can we cut our shift shorter? Can we do something? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. Right. And then even with the journalist, like, I mean, what fucking captain is going to say like, oh, yeah, with my precious fucking airtime that I could barely get a hold of like my general or whatever, (laughs) I'm going to ask if this journalist can post this story. Right. So he's like (laughs) also kind of like doting on him a little bit. And then even when he's like the first one, when when they realize, you know, kind of what's happening and everything, he's the first one with the gun and he's the first one that rolls out to go get this uh, this alien. Right. He's like, no, I'm protecting my people. Whereas like a lot of other captains or people would just be like, oh, yeah, you go do this and you do this or you like there's a a level of protection that kind of that feeds into what you're saying. And I love that. It really does. And that's not to say that, like, because obviously, like. I like this idea from a non-sexual perspective of just like a sort of non-chauvinistic, non-sexist male camaraderie that is platonic, like where men can be a little bit like more flirtatious with each other and fun and more open and like even cuddly or like 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 uh, intimate with one another. That doesn't have to necessarily be sexual. I like that as a read as well, but... I'm saying that they're fucking on the record. <laughs> I want I want that version of this. You I, got your flag planted in that I, in the fucking one hundred percent. They must like, yeah. and that's it, you're totally right. He's like protecting his boys, and I'm like, ooh, what is yeah. this poly relationship like, going on here? Opera? Ooh, yeah. that's cute. Yeah. yeah, I was like, okay, who are the primary? Who are the tertiary? We need to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Which is in yeah. such it's that attitude is in such direct contrast to. The other version. Oh, yeah. Where everybody's like, fuck everybody else. Like, yeah. <laughs> like uh, to a certain extent, as opposed to in this one where they all kind of band, the servicemen band together, you know, the U.S. Yeah. military bands together to, you know, fight the other. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting because like the in the other one where everybody is kind of out for themselves. Right. This one, you see everybody kind of 
separate based on their whole belief system, which is is very basic in this film. It's, yeah. you know, um, we have three groups. We have the military who wants to weaponize everything. We have the scientists who just want knowledge. And we have the journalist who represents, like, the public, right? Just wanting transparency and wanting to know what's happening. Yeah. So, like, seeing them kind of, like, section off and kind of, like, you know, cover for each other, even if they don't necessarily believe what they're doing is right, you know, even if they're questioning things, like, seeing, like, these smaller communities kind of build up around this absolutely terrifying event, Right. Like, yeah. Uh, and then also like seeing who decides to cross lines to actually solve the situation, because that's the only way that anything does happen is through like a sharing of knowledge. Yeah, that was pretty cool. You know, I, I yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, one of the things that I thought and I feel like I want to bring this up when we talk about the next one, because I mean, not to be like this, but I have very little to say about this movie. Me too. Only, be, only because <laughs> it's it is so like it's cookie cutter. It's cookie cutter, and the I mean time, this especially. In, I I mean this in the worst way possible. It's simple. Yeah, it's an incredibly simple story that's, with not much going on. That's so fucking funny because it, it it barely cuts through anything to get anywhere, and by the end, it's like we must tell the world, like whatever, and then you're just like, oh okay, I feel aliens. Like, <laughs> I feel like this movie is like the textbook example of here are all the tropes plot wise character wise all of this you know like here is a basic script now make with it what you will which john carpenter absolutely did right oh Um, and that's one of those things that like i not having i mean i've never seen that one but one of the things that i I do want to bring up is sort of the inclusion of some of the visuals from this one in john carpenter's yes Right, like the found footage of them, like in the circle, like yeah, that was an obvious like reference to the first one. I'm like, totally, oh, yeah. that like totally adds some flavor to this one, like giving it the substance of like a way more interesting story. If if that's a found footage thing and not 25 minutes of them getting in a circle trying to blow something up, I'm like, gorgeous, great idea, <laughs> perfect implementation. I'm super here for it. But I mean here we are in this first one with them being like, you go over there and now plant this and get in a circle. Is this a UFO? Maybe I can see it. Grab <laughs> like 35 minutes later, like y'all get back to the house. What are you yeah, doing? I remember <laughs> looking at, cause um, at the runtime of the movie and being like, this only has 10 minutes left. <laughs> I know. <Yeah. laughs> Nothing's happened. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> but like nothing happened in the first like 35 minutes of this movie. I was just like, yeah. okay. And yeah. you know, the one highlight for me was, that crazy wild ass fire stunt scene where there's a Ooh. man on fire just throwing shit around yeah. a room and I'm like, this is dangerous. Like somebody's gonna <laughs> <Yeah>. get hurt. <laughs> that was old enough for a fire stunt like that to not be properly supervised yeah. at all. <laughs> like all those horror stories you hear about old Hollywood and how like stunts and all that stuff happened down like went down. Well, yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. I think Ergos is telling me a story about like when they would have guns and like bullets in these movies, it was live ammunition and yeah. it would be a sharpshooter shooting around an actor. Like oh. what the fucking oh, fuck? No. Is oh my that? god. Before squibs, before like these like smaller explosives, it was a sharpshooter on a fucking loft aiming around the actor and attempting not to shoot the actor with live ammunition. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. Definitely fun for everybody. <laughs> like, Jesus. 
I did want to talk about the alien just a little bit. Yeah. Um, the vampire super carrot, which I thought was hilarious that they <laughs> yeah, kept this... calling it the carrot. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have two things to say about it, and they're not necessarily connected. Um, I mean, of course, one we we know that violence was used immediately upon uh, discovering this, right? So, of course, yeah. it's going to be violent. All of the, those things. That's not what I was going to yeah. say. What I was going to say is, um, there's a line later on to kind of further paint women as the uh god what's the word for it like there's this line where they talk about uh the the scientist what's the main scientist's name and it is harrington like, harrington thank you yes. um he says that their like their development was not hindered by emotions or sexual attraction um kind of insinuating like while all of these men you know throughout this whole film are talking about women and women's bodies more specifically in these moments where they don't necessarily have anything to do with what's happening in the scene, you know, yeah. like calling them a distraction. I thought that that just like, for me, really drove home what this film thinks about women because I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. So women hold men back and hold back like our entire species fucking cool yeah. right <laughs> but but women are also not people with that kind of capability so they the same time, both yeah. they both do and also can't but also by definition within this story uh women are from venus <laughs> they are uh-huh. uh actual aliens and they are not people <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah i mean just it ran the gamut of all of the uh wonderful <laughs> misogynistic tropes of any yeah. sort of Whatever. I mean, granted, did I expect any better from something like this? I don't think so. I I mean, at least with a character like uh, Nikki Nicholson, I was hoping, at least based on that first interaction with her, that there would be a more progressive for the time sort of approach to writing her. But I mean, alas, there really wasn't. Yeah. I mean, this isn't pre-coded Hollywood, so you know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um. The other thing that I was going to say about the alien in that last scene where they electrocute the fuck out of him. Oh, yeah. um, I don't know. Like, maybe it's because, like, there's such a big conversation about, like, the death penalty and stuff happening right now. But I was like, ooh, is this kind of like a metaphor or is this kind of like talking about incarceration and electrocution and all of this? But then I'm like, wait, if it says that, is it like pro that? Like, I don't I don't know. Because I was trying to say about it. Yeah. yeah, it was really uncomfortable, like, just, like, well, that f- whole scene. I feel like oftentimes, especially in a lot of, like, well, not necessarily horror, but, like, in general, I mean, these are written by people with biases, so I think there might be a level of, like, xenophobic rhetoric going on here as far as, like, immigration and scary others and, and, and what have you that, like, could be at play here. Possible, I think like I'm assuming it is sure. right, right, yeah, because it's literally the thing from another place, and you're like, oh, yeah, totally, <laughs> great, 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 great. I yeah. mean, granted, there's not much textually that like, it, there's not a lot here, but like you can speculate as much as you want. Just generally, I would assume that that is the case. So when it comes to something like this, especially within the 50s, like, okay, what is the cause of death? How are we going to kill the monster? Oh yeah, the electric chair. Great, cool. Let's see. There was some casual racism in this one. Oh my god! The looks like lynching. Yes. What oh yeah. I was like, what? Jesus. <laughs> Although what did you say? there's a there's a lynch line in the other one too that I only just noticed for, on this watch that I was like, this is kind of weird. 
Yeah. Oh, that they really? I didn't. Yeah. I didn't notice it in the second one because in this one it was just like, "Hey, what's up?" Looks like a lynching party when they're like all together. I'm like, oh, it's like yeah. almost the same line. Yikes! Really? Yeah, it's when McCready comes in and he goes like, "You look like you're getting ready to start a lynching party," when he has the like dynamite. And oh like, he, no! He, like, shit. He comes back yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. He okay. Says it then. Yeah. Well, and then like there's that small line about using uh, the indigenous peoples to, uh, to <laughs> do things for them as as like free labor, right? And I was like, yeah. oh. Okay. Like, calling I mean, back yeah. to your calling back to your Willy Wonka episode. <laughs> oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do love how this film painted the military to just look over bureaucratic and just look <laughs> yeah. so silly because, like, yeah. I mean, the whole time they're just using others when they're convenient and, like, even though they want to control the narrative, like, they have so many standard operating procedures that they're like. They only read them after they act about it, you know, like they blow it <laughs> yeah. up and they're like, oh, well, whoops, might maybe <laughs> maybe we fucked up. And then the general is like, oh, yeah, blow it up. <laughs> right? And I was like, yeah, cool, awesome. And like how everything just like requires permission and control and this. And I was like, oh, cute. That's I, I yeah. like that. Like, I, yeah. I like that they not, don't look smart. <laughs> you're not supposed to touch them. I'm the captain. I think we should fight it. And then it's like, actually, your boss just said that you shouldn't hurt it. And then the scientist is like, aha. And you're like, oh, yeah. okay. He's like, see, your boss, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay. That scientist was just so cartoony. He was such yeah, like yeah. a cartoon bad guy. <laughs> like, yes, I wanted him to twirl his mustache and just be like, ah, yeah. see? <laughs> yeah. All the way down to the mustache. Science is evil. Science is evil. That's yeah. what we know. That's what, join we, that's the, what we learned. Join the, join the Navy and science is bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Wait, are they the Navy? <laughs> it was the Air Force. Force. Air Force. Yeah. My gosh. It's oh so my... interesting that um, it took place at the North Pole. I don't know what the, what the, what the purpose of that was. Yeah. Because uh, but... the short story and the, and the 82 are set in Antarctica. The short story, it's... they're both based on, and it's, like, really strange. Do you think it's just a Christmas thing? Maybe. <laughs> maybe uh, Howard Hawks maybe? is really into Christmas. Maybe when they were writing it, it was just they had uh, Christmas on the brain. Yeah. Like, what if it was the story of Santa, but scary and aliens? <laughs> yeah, with the, the thing with is no Santa. Santa. The thing is Santa. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I'm always super surprised at some of the little things that people decide to change when retelling a story, like something was... as like inconsequential as rather than being Antarctica, it is specifically the North Pole. Like, it's Why? insane because yeah. I I finally read the short story for this. I'd never read it before, and it's insane how unlike the short story this version is for being the very first one. It's like not like it at all. The only really? thing it has in common is that it's cold and they dig an alien out of the ice. Oh, That's shit. it. <laughs> That's no literally shit. it. Yeah, yeah. Is it much closer to the Carpenter version? Yeah, the main character really? is is McCready. And he's the second in command. Everybody has the same character names. It takes place in Antarctica. The thing shapeshifts. It's like it, Blair escapes out of a shed and starts to build a spaceship in that one too. Like it's like so much more spot on. Oh wow! Uh, okay, than this one. I wouldn't have expected that at all. You mean either? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is just John Carpenter and his genius. This is yeah, this is it. Yeah. You know, when yeah. did the when was the book written? Or it was the... in 19, 1938 is when it was first published. They okay. actually recently unearthed because it's a it's a short story novella. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually unearthed the full-length novel in oh, his shit. belongings, and they released it called Frozen Hell. So I haven't read that, obviously. But they have Whoa. a full novel version of it that is basically an expanded version that is apparently the one that Blumhouse is doing is they're adapting that 
full book as opposed to just a short story. Ooh, that's, that's kind of cool. That's fucking wild. It's yeah. cool. That's actually really exciting. Yeah. Maybe we should do, we should review the next two. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, knowing, seeing the trailer for the next one, I know, Jake, you said you didn't really it's fine. care about it that much. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. But seeing a Mar- uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead yeah. being in it, I was like, oh. Because it's pretty much. Uh, I want to watch this. <laughs> it's pretty much what happens in the Norwegian camp is that movie. No shit. Is, yeah, and it, it really? ends with them. It ends with them chasing the dog in the helicopter. That's how the movie ends. <gasps> okay, I'm obsessed. Oh, that's pretty tight. It. <laughs> yeah, that's actually really yeah. sick. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah, I think we should. We could do a part two to this episode and yeah. come back when that movie's made and do a thing 2011 thing 2022 yeah. or whatever. 2022, 2023. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm down. There's uh, a couple things I wanted to get into on this one too that I thought was interesting. When I was looking at behind the scenes stuff. So the director of it, Christian Nibby, they there's Shout contention out. whether or not he actually directed it. Oh, and they okay. actually think that Howard Hawks, the producer, who was he was like a famous Golden Age of Hollywood director. He did like Rio Bravo and Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, like all all that kind of stuff. He was like a famous Western mm-hmm. director. Um, so many members of the cast as being like, oh yeah, he directed everything except for one scene in the movie. But that he just wanted to get his friend a director's guild card, so he put him as the director on the movie. Oh, no shit. And apparently, according to this right here, so RKO Pictures would pay their directors a fifty thousand dollar director's fee, and he gave Christian maybe five thousand four hundred sixty dollars of it, and he kept the rest for himself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean Honest- that's pretty tight. <laughs> Honestly, though. Like, if I was in that situation, I was trying to get my friend to be like, hey, just come in and direct a scene. Like, it's not a big deal. It could be inconsequential. Just yeah. just do it. And then I'm, I'm going to put you as a director. It. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To get your card. Hey, why yeah. not? And and what's even more interesting is because um, I was ma- always making these weird connections in my head. So the weekend that The Thing 1982 came out, it was up against Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan. Oh. And Poltergeist, which... What? If you're, no not, in a, if you're not in on Poltergeist... There are people that think that Steven Spielberg directed that movie and not Toby Hooper. So, like, this many years later, you oh, have wow. another thing where people are contentious about who actually directed the movie. Yeah. On the same day. That's wild. how interesting. Yeah. I love that. Parallels. Yeah. Connections everywhere. What a fucking week at the box office. Jeez. The week before, and they attribute this to the thing's failure. The week before, I believe, was E.T. Extraterrestrial. Shut up. Oh, that's yeah. all fucked. Yeah, no wonder. <laughs> and then two weeks after, Blade Runner. <laughs> no! <laughs> what? Yeah. What, a, what a time for movies. Holy yeah. shit. It's really, it was a wild, 1982 is a wild year for movies. Okay, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I could also see, like, the family-friendly uh, alien movie versus the not family-friendly alien movie. That kind of being... It's sort of downfall, especially if E.T. is sort of the uh, reigning champion as far as pop culture is concerned. Sometimes I'm just like puzzled as to why certain movies bomb. And then I'm like, you t- giving like all of that context for this, Jake, is just like, oh, yeah. oh, like, I mean, that makes sense. Clearly, it's not it's not because this isn't a good movie or anything. And maybe, you know audiences weren't just ready for it or anything but i'm just like holy shit like that's wild to me before we do move to the next one i want to read a quote from the guy who played captain hendry about the next one to bridge this gap if 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 we're done talking about think of another world i'm i'm cool with that yeah he said the effects were so explicit that they actually destroyed how you were supposed to feel about the characters 
They almost became a movie in themselves and were a little too horrifying and took away from the development of strong characters. I'm sorry, what development was there for this character <laughs> exactly, in yeah. The Thing from Another World? Like, Also, I like that this sounds like one of those things it's like, they were impressed by it. They're like, honestly, at the end of the day, for the story, it's kind of just too good. And that's why it's bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, they actually did too much. And I think that the story could have, like, lent itself more uh, artistically to, like, less. If they just yeah. done less, like, that would be cool. Should we do the other one? Yeah. I'm <laughs> honestly, I have, I have literally, I took so few notes for this first one. Yeah. I, I just, was the same I, like, it was. It was kind of a snoozer, and by the end of it, I was like, oh, great, it's over. <laughs> well, you know what? It was just too on the nose. Like, everything it, was just, yeah. like, everything yeah. you expected to happen happened the exact way you expected it to happen, and, yeah. like, was paced the exact way you expected it. It was, yeah. like, a D-list movie. I know, I understand oh, yeah. why nobody talks about this, why I didn't realize that there was an original version of the thing. Also, the uh, Warner Archive Blu-ray... If you're a Blu-ray buyer, the scan on it, the scan on it was fucking terrible. Like the oh, elements, no. they, the elements they had to work with were apparently not good because it looked so, like shit. So you sent it back, right? Yeah, I returned it. So, <laughs> Jess, you know Jake's Blu-ray collection. Yes, yes. And how monumental it is. How, yeah. yeah, incredible. Yes. The fact that you had to send a Blu-ray back. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I really don't want to. So I'm never, telling. I kept Robo War. <laughs> which is an Italian predator knockoff made for about $5. Yes. Incredible. Obsessed. I, I did that. Uh, I kept that, but I was like, think of another world has no place in my house. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do not like, stand this film. <laughs> even with all of the thing memorabilia in your yeah. background right like, now, like, yeah. no, this does not no. meet my standards. Not even not. If, as a piece. <laughs> <laughs> In Antarctica, sometime in the 1980s, a U.S. research station suddenly becomes a battleground when a Norwegian helicopter flies through their camp while attempting to chase and kill a dog. The Norwegians perish with their goal unaccomplished, leaving the Americans with lots of questions. Soon thereafter, helicopter pilot McReady and scientist Dr. Cooper head to the Norwegian camp looking for answers, only to find it in ruins. After Dr. Blair analyzes their research back at the U.S. station, he realizes an ancient alien is to blame for the carnage and that it can become a perfect replica of any organic life, even humans. Surely nothing can go wrong, right? Wrong! We're just getting started. Oh, uh, paranoia quickly takes hold of the men at the research station as they realize any one of them could have been replaced by an alien replica. Unfortunately, this realization comes too late as the alien, who as it turns out was actually the dog the Norwegians were trying to kill, has already begun replacing the crew members with aliens. McCready devises a way to tell who's been replaced with a blood test, which inadvertently leads to the death of most of the crew as paranoia continues to mount. With nothing left to lose, those remaining few decide to blow up the base, exposing Dr. Blair as the big bad papa alien and accept their grim fate, the end. Or was it? Or was it? it? I don't know. Oh my god, (laughs) I love this ambiguous ending. Yeah. So that dog should win a (laughs) fucking Oscar. That dog That's a pretty famous dog, too, as far as I know. Really? Yeah. Were they in Snow Dogs? No. Were they Balto? Oh, well then, not that famous now, are they? (laughs) Um... Honestly, like, well, initially, I hated the fact that they were chasing the dog. I was just, like, mad about it. I'm curious what your thoughts were. About them chasing the dog? Yeah. 
Okay, so I think one of the only things that I did know about this is that it was the dog. Yeah. So as soon as like the dog was running, I was like, "Yeah, hey, the dog's here," and then they're sh- they're shooting at it. I was like, "Oh yeah, that's the alien. That's why they're shooting. It's like this whole thing." And then yeah. that's why it's supposed to be confusing. I forgot but- about that. So that t- I was like, "Oh cute, it's a- what the fuck are they yeah. doing? Yeah. Like, why are they doing this? Oh yeah. my god!" Um, but that dog, like every time they cut to the dog, the dog's like looking out the window, just staring at them, and I'm like, "This is." fucking terrifying this this dog is so good at their job like i'm obsessed give this dog (laughs) a fucking award (laughs) it's interesting because um if you were norwegian and saw this movie anything was like spoiled for you at the beginning because the norwegian guy says i think it's the dog it's the dog the alien is in the dog (laughs) and so if you're norwegian you're like oh thanks i guess like (laughs) yeah Like, appreciate it. Thanks for... That's yeah, the whole they, twist. They, thanks, thanks for ruining it. <laughs> yeah. Damn but it. But I'm surprised, though, because they really got through the dog stuff, like, in the first 30 minutes. They got through so much off yeah. the top. Like, it just kind of jumps in and starts, and it's like, oh, yeah, they're here. And- Fuck. They killed the Norwegians. Now they're at the base. Now it's this. And it's the dog, and the dog's eating the other dogs, and it's like, holy shit. And then we're at, like, minute 35. Yeah. And even yeah. though, like, it goes that quick kind of like you're saying it still felt like it took so much time to get there because of the way that it was shot i know we already kind of like talked about it but like the moments where it just kind of like hangs on like it's the point of view of the dog and then like the camera is at the dog's level when it's like seeing around and then it fades to black right just like ooh, yeah this is great i love this yeah um whereas the other one was just like hey What's going on? Hey, this. Hey, this. Hey, super vegetable carrot. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening. This one, like, it felt like there was a mystery because, again, if like if you hadn't seen it previously and didn't speak Norwegian, like you start off with them trying to shoot a dog, and like, again, I forgot about that. So I was just like, <gasps> what yeah. do you like? And then how of dare course, you? I was like, oh, that's right. It's the dog. Uh, that yeah. that makes sense because I know what is going to happen in here. But yeah. like just seeing that was just so incredibly jarring. And I kind of love that that's how audiences are brought in initially is by being made uncomfortable. And then like just so like, okay, we're going to go to the Norwegian camp and there's nothing there. It's in ruins and they kind of have to like piece things together. And that's yeah. where, like you were saying, Eric, they took some of that like found footage from the first film which i thought was like a really cool nod to that because it felt like it kind of felt like a sequel and i had a little bit more of an appreciation for this movie after watching the dumpster fire that was the original you know (laughs) well yeah 100 percent, yeah so like there was a little bit of the ice casket is like similar even yes yeah i really really loved that yeah i think like i said previously it just added so much to this movie because like if you're just watching this this version of the thing, like it's like okay, cool, it's found footage there in a circle. Like I don't really know, but like given the context of the previous one, it's like that's what they did, and that's the thing, and that's like we know what this is. This is happening. It's a different story. Um, one thing I really liked, just in general, about the storytelling of it, is I felt like there was a divide because after the whole sequence, sort of like with the dogs in the cage, and then it's like fuck, we're fucked. Like this is really happening. There's a scene um, where. Uh, two of the guys are in their bunk and they're watching like reruns of I think like The Price is Right or something. It's a uh, what's uh, the show? Let's make a deal. Let's make a deal. Yeah. And I mean the line is very clearly he turns it off and he's like, oh, I I know how this one ends. Yeah. And then he puts on something else and that as sort of like a cinematic device to be like, 
this whole portion of the movie, you think you kind of know what's happening, but the entire like imposter setup where it's like constant Mr. X, constant like ambiguity, that's kind of when that shit starts happening. And I love that this scene is sort of like a divide, like a, a point of like, oh, I know how this ends. And it's like, haha, but you don't. Like, that's a, yeah. I, I thought that was really cute. It was just, it was a, a really it's good a meta little cute moment. moment. It's a meta cute moment. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting because yeah, yeah. I read that as, because I was reading this film and I was like, you know, the absence of women or like the only time that we see women is um, photos of women on the, on the wall. Somebody's yeah. like reading a porno. Uh, the chess computer, which gets, which has a very like sexy feminine voice, played right? by and... uh, John Carpenter's wife at the time, Adrian oh, Barbeau. Okay, shout very out, cool. shout out. Um, being called the bitch for being smarter than McCready, yeah, right? Totally. Um, and then the television, <laughs> that scene, right, that you're talking about, is the last time that we see a woman on screen, right, yeah. or oh, or yeah, any okay. sort of women. And um, so again, like I had a very queer reading of this film and i was like oh this is you know like so him saying i know how this ends and turns it off as soon as a woman you know shows up is just like oh "Oh, i know that i've been there i've done that like this is boring right oh so this was more of like queer misogyny yeah yeah Yeah. i like that (laughs) a lot But, like, it's cool because I like what you said, too. And so, like, that's a scene. And I feel like there's a lot of scenes in this film that work on multiple levels with multiple different kinds of reads or, like, anal- like different types of analysis Completely. when it's yeah. when it's applied to it, right? Yeah. Um, going further off of, like, the queer reading that I, I took from it. Because, like, I feel like uh, the alien itself can be, like, a metaphor for AIDS and for the AIDS crisis and for gay men uh, and yeah, totally. all of that it, because happening. it's something inside somebody you can't see or you yeah. can't right. tell what it is and there's you know I mean? like, a blood test right and yeah. everybody is super afraid of getting it or catching it and they have to like god there's some really really great lines where it's like they're trying to like misdirect and be like oh well it can't be me oh yeah. i've known this person forever it can't be them so like they're like hiding their queerness um yeah. and so like then you know, it's like, oh, well, we have to check your blood. And there's like this whole paranoia about that and about trying to eradicate that. And then for the people that have it to try to hide themselves and protect themselves. And, you know, yeah. by using the misdirection of, oh, look, uh, McRitty is the person, right? Like, so yeah. doing everything they can to make sure that that violence doesn't come back on them, too. Um, well, so- to, fur- to further that, even now that you're saying it, the moment of illumination of knowledge for any one of these characters where it is decided definitively that they are the monster, they literally change form into a visual monster. Like, it's like, yes. you have it. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm a monster now. You know what I mean? Like, it's a very, like, totally. ah, I found you. You're it. It's like, <clears throat> like, um, which, I mean, that's kind of like to even for that sort of that idea. Yeah, that's sort of how it was. Like, if. If you were positive, it was, I mean, not only was it a death sentence, but it was like, you're a monster now. Yeah. Like, you cannot be around me. I can't associate with you, right? Yeah. I hadn't, that's not my, like, initial reading of this. I think it's because these guys were way, like, less homoerotic with one another. (laughs) It was, like, clearly a much more sort of, like, tumultuous and, like, socially violent atmosphere um, than the first one. I think there was like that that level of 
of general gayness kind there's, of flew out the window for me. There's for this, something interesting and um, aiding to the queer theory of it of they're all trying to prove who the real who's the real man kind of yeah you know what I mean? it's oh, all about yeah. like, it's, it's like, who, right? like i'm a real man yeah you know what i mean like, like, I, like, I'm, like not, I'm not that i'm not that i'm yeah, i'm yeah. a I'm, heterosexual man right i'm not that thing yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and so that i think like also works towards like you know the closeting and like you know like they literally shove dr blair into a box right <laughs> yeah. you know and he's oh, the one yeah. that is he's also the one that's the loudest about this right he's like this is happening and you know like and, and just it turns out that he's he's the big bad right he's like a uh, big yeah. papa alien but yeah. the whole time he's trying to convince everybody else that like he knows what's happening and so they don't look at him as like the thing right yeah uh, mccready has like um two really great lines that kind of like feed into this theory um when you like when you look at it through that lens where the first one is, you know, he's talking to everybody outside and he says, I know I'm human and some of you are human or else you'd attack me. The thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide in intimidation. It will fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable in the open. It takes us over when it has no more enemies, nobody left to kill, then it wins. So kind of like furthering that queerness is something that we can eradicate and we can get rid of it. And then later on, when he's talking about, like, the blood test, he says every part of him being the person that they were, uh, they had just tested the blood and the whole thing, right? Every part of him was a whole. When a man bleeds, it's just tissue. Blood from one of you uh, won't obey when it's attacked. It will just try to survive. Like, so talking about passing, right? Like, passing as straight or passing, being able to, like, walk in these spaces without, you know. Oh, yeah. Which um, is which is the big conversation about like especially within queer communities the the concept of like passing privilege in that way where it's like in a sort of heteronormative society like the ability to pass as straight for your own safety and that being a conversation whereas some queer people can't just yeah that's it's not something that they're capable of like like and also why do it in general also yeah, yeah. I I also um yeah I mean this is literally the exact same time as the early onset of the uh, AIDS epidemic. Yeah, totally. It's like simultaneous. Like also just that idea of, you know, it can be anybody, it, you know, like yeah. so like feeding into that kind of whole paranoia. Like I I know we already went through some of this with Blade Runner and I just read this really excellent yeah. piece on um, on Predator having like the same sort of like undertones um, when read through a queer lens, which is just incredibly interesting to me. So <laughs> yeah. maybe that's why this was at the forefront, you know, but um, but yeah, it's literally a blood test that they have to do to find it's, out. It's, yeah. You it's know. a literal blood test, which is wild too. It's like, give me your blood petri dish. We're testing. We're doing tests. <laughs> like, also, we're like, gonna then, shoot up with morphine. <laughs> well, also, I think giving it this context too, not only the blood test, but the way that it was presented visually, where they're like literally tied to chairs in this room, yeah. and they're all awaiting this, and like it'll do like the close up of each character as he's about to do the test, and it's like the moment before, like this is pivotal. This is life or death. Mm-hmm. you get the positive diagnosis you're over essentially at that time in that present context right mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i i couldn't agree more <laughs> given that <laughs> lens i think that's right on that's wild i was definitely thinking about it because i was so when i was watching it this time i had just read a great piece by um tracy moore 
and it's a piece called Everything I Know About Men I Learned from the Thing. Which oh. is, first of all, a great title. Wow. Like uh, this, please send this yes, to us. Yes, so <laughs> yeah. it. It's a great uh, reading that I was putting it at the forefront of my mind. Because for me, this was always about the toxicity of masculinity, how all power dynamics, when you're operating in that toxic masculine society, how they fall apart so easily as soon as somebody gets the wrong idea about somebody else because it's toxic. Um, and so she does a feminist reading, and I found myself thinking about that and agreeing a lot with what's going on there. As far as the what I was mentioning earlier that about there being two women in the film, she also mentions it, and I was like thinking about it and thinking about it about there's a computer who's the cheating bitch, mm-hmm. yeah, and bitch is also for a term for a female dog. Oh, so yeah. the argument is that the dog is this female energy being, and the thing itself injected into this male dominated toxic masculine society and it's I falling apart it's, it's okay falling apart Holy at the shit. idea i love that you know what i mean yeah. i'm screaming <laughs> well it's just like you think you know it's uh it's interesting because it's like this feminine energy being injected into this power dynamic and these these men that you know in this masculine toxic masculine society it's the loner that is uh pedestaled right it's the loner it's the rebel and these guys, like I was talking about in the last movie, those guys had to band together. These these people have the idea of, like, the loner is the strong one. But it's like these guys have to band together to beat this thing, but they can't because of the way that their power structure works. Well, then, even if you're looking, you said literally the loner is pedestaled. Look at our lead character who's literally yeah, exactly. in the tower yeah. by himself. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah and he incredible. ends up being the alpha of the situation. Yeah. Also, you know he's... I mean? I want to go on record and say he's super boring, and I hate that hat. Yeah, go on. Yeah. We can hat. fight about the hat I, later, yes. but yeah, go um, on. And he ends up being the alpha of the situation. There's so much weird stuff. Like, the the moment that really the, like, masculine, the, like, toxic masculine power dynamics really cements itself for me is when Windows is going to get the gun, right? Yeah. He's, he's, like, breaking the thing. He's getting, the, like, guns out. And then, like, Gary comes, and Gary's in charge. He's the, the highest commanding person there. And he can't get him to go. And McCready comes up. He's like, stop, stop. And then Gary essentially like betas out to McCready. And is like, yeah. here, you can have my gun. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't want this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like that's, that's, that's when the like power dynamic shifts. And now the loner's in charge. And now all hell's going to break loose at that point. Well, and McCready also like from the very first time that we see him, he's committing an act of violence against women. Right. And against, oh, yeah. uh, like if, you know, yeah. the computer, right. It's like, <laughs> oh, you cheating bitch. And literally like takes his drink and throws it. Like it's in the computer, in, in he, her, pour, like, yeah. he pours it into the computer. It's I laughed so hard, um, so like I know it's awful and like it's a shitty character, but like that was so fucking funny. It was really it was yeah, so funny. But like the next time that we see him, he's being super racist. Where like you know he keeps getting corrected. Where um, the scientist tries to keep saying, "Oh, these are no Norwegian." He's like, "Whatever, Swedes." And he keeps doing that. He never actually <laughs> acknowledges that they're uh, Norwegian, Norwegian, right? Yeah. And so I'm like, "Oh, okay, cool." And like the whole time, he's just like, "I want to get drunk, whatever." And like yeah. he really the only reason that he rises to the position that he finds himself in is because he is the most unstable and he's the most violent. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. He literally because he literally after they distrust him, the way he becomes back in charge is by threatening to kill everybody. <laughs> like, yeah, true. Like, like, I'm gonna murder all of us. Dynamite so. strapped to him. Yeah, right? exactly. like, I'm gonna and- murder all of us. So 
You better put me in charge. <laughs> I didn't understand why they shoved Blair in the room by yeah. himself for the slightest bit of that of kind of behavior, yeah. you know, and then they just kind of allow McCready to exude that and to kind of like um, tell them what to do throughout this. I thought that that yeah. was really weird. And then there's the the point where we go over to Blair and there's a fucking noose in the room. Right? <laughs> oh my God. And, yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. That part is to me the funniest part of the movie. I was just like, Because oh they, <laughs> they just opened the thing and he goes like, I would like to go back inside, please. And there's a noose there. <laughs> it's like so fun. <laughs> I, I have... I have discussed it with me and my friends. Yeah, yeah. We have agreed that I should be able to go back inside. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was very because I mean because the news is not like a it's a prop in the background. It was yeah. not there before. It's very clearly yeah, in the foreground, yeah. center frame. He made it. There's intention here. I would like to go back inside, please. Thank you. Yeah. Um. I also want to bring up like furthering the conversation about like uh, toxic masculinity as sort of the forefront or sort of the set piece for this narrative. And how he is obviously, like, the most narcissistic and the most unself-aware because, like, I mean, our introduction to him is, again, getting him out of that computer and being like, you cheating bitch and pouring the drink in and his computer. And obviously, he hates women, too. But then, towards the end, he's like, as far as, like, who should be in charge, he says it should be somebody a little more even-tempered. And it's yeah. like, you're literally the most childish <laughs> the un- unhinged. Un- unhinged uneven tempered person and you're you're saying it should be you because you're the most even tempered he is just so inept in yeah. every possible way and like you said the only reason he's in charge is because he was the one who was the most brutal and the most masculine the most the most problematically masculine character because yeah. of his willingness to be an absolute chaotic <laughs> yeah, because in this toxic society, his ability yeah. to make rash and quick decisions is valued as an asset as opposed yeah. to a detriment, you know, like yeah. like like his ability to, to just go kill him. Like when he kills Clark, his ability to just do that is what oh, makes yeah. him in charge in this society, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, how many people does he kill in this whole thing? Like, he, he's the one that kills, like, everybody, right? Pretty much, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, he, like, the paranoia of this one man and, like, the violence that, you know, exists within him is, like, regarded as power with everybody else and still eventually manages to get everybody killed. Yeah. You know? I do want to go on record and say, I want two of these men to break my heart. Let me pull them up. <laughs> Um, I'm so, so obviously, obvi- obviously Keith David, I need him to childs. Yeah. He's oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah, my God. 100%. Like get out of my fucking face. He's so hot. <laughs> it's silly. Who was the guy with the green hat? Richard. I think Clark. This is Clark. Yeah. Yeah. Clark. He's, in, he's um, in charge of the dogs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I need both of these men to uh, <laughs> break my heart is what Which, I need you know, them like, to do. They're he... so incredibly <laughs> charming and handsome and just really cute. So that would be great. Thank he you so also much. kind of, in this hierarchy, betas out to McCready too. Yeah. When they go for the dogs. Because he's like, at first, very like, you know, he's he's the person that takes care of the dogs. So he's very attached yeah. to them. And he like instantly just, as soon as, you know, somebody asserts dominance over him, he's kind of just like, lets them do <laughs> yeah. whatever they have to do. Which yeah. that dog scene is really upsetting. I agree with you, by it, the way. I, like, it was hard. <laughs> like, apart from all of the other, like, sort of visual raunchery, as far as, like, gore is concerned, the dog stuff, I was just like, I, like, the dog biting the cage to try to get out, I was like, I, Ooh, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm that gonna cry. Fucked. I will yeah. literally start crying yeah. right now. This is not nice for me. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
Um, I mean, some of that later stuff too is just cool though. Like yeah, the Rob, sunken Rob stomach Botten, with the teeth. Like, oh my yeah. god. Rob Botton, who did the effects for this, was 22 years old at the time. No shit. Yeah. Wow. Damn. Okay, I guess I'm just gonna quit doing everything forever now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, good for you, but also super great. Um, I guess I'm done being a creative person in my day to day life, and I should yeah. just his, um, quit. <laughs> his effects are just such a huge asset to the movie. Uh, oh yeah, just take it next level. I forgot about a lot of those, um, yeah. and so like when uh, the stomach opened up, I like screamed. I was like, "Oh!" Because like my I... wife did the first time too. She yep. she that's a, probably the most I've ever seen her jump when we watched a movie was that. Yeah, oh, yeah, it, it's I it's forgot edited about it so well too. <laughs> yeah. Just to, like to to have the effect that it does because it was the one time that I I literally gasped and was like. <gasps> And like covered my mouth, like oh my god, like oh fuck, like that's so scary. um, It's so so good because in terms of the technical filmmaking, even though we have the dog scene before that, that scene is kind of the payoff for all the build up so far. Because it just turns because the dog scene, the 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 grotesqueness of it unfolds slowly. Like it's like you see all the dogs, and then you see the dog start to freak out. It comes out. The face blooms. It takes in all the other ones. They see it. It kind of slowly transforms, as opposed to that one where it's he defibrillates him. His hands get bitten off. He pulls him up. A thing spews out of this guy. It's just all this shit is happening at the same time, and there's yeah. just all this chaos. And it just is a total payoff for everything that's happened before this. Yeah. It's like the chestburster scene in Amy. I was yeah, just going to exactly. say, yeah. it's yeah. so emblematic of that. I had the exact same vibe. It's like you have this sort of brooding ambiguity and mystery that is like whatever the story is. You have a little bit of like chaotic violence, but not really a lot. And then it's yeah. that, again, the chestburster scene where everybody's around this one character. It's shown. We're all illuminated. We know what's happening. Fuck, we're in trouble. There's no denying <laughs> it at that point. There's no denying yeah, that's, it. Yeah. That's like the point of no return, right? Exactly. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and everybody's there to witness it, you know? So, yeah. um, and oh, that's and we're going to talk just... about that soon. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and and it ends with my favorite moment in film history, which is the, you got to be fucking kidding, where they're staring at the, at the spider head. And it just, oh. uh, it's my favorite thing ever. It's <laughs> just so good. And that which head they reference, terrifying. They reference that in It Chapter 2. There's a part where somebody's sp- head becomes a spider, and then Bill Hader says, you got to be fucking kidding. And it's, in, oh. it's, it's a direct reference to that. Cute. <laughs> How fun. Uh, yeah, that spider head is fucked up. Yeah. As soon as like the head, like the, t- the tongue tentacle is like pulling it, I'm like, stop. No. Go away. I'm waiting that. I'm waiting get out of here. Tattooed on my arm, just the spider head. You're going to? Yeah. Oh, oh hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, this movie it's just this movie is cool. <laughs> apart, I, I mean, apart from all else, I thought this movie was really cool. It was it was interesting. It was fun. Um, also, one thing that I really liked, apart from most horror movies in general and like characters of color, um, the two black actors were not killed in the first whatever amount of yeah, time. No. Like they it were makes it till almost the end. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just, I had noticed and appreciated that in a way that I felt was like, this was a cognizant choice to, to, it it felt intentional, which I appreciated, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one of the notes that I have too, just because, you know, that, that is like one of the biggest problematic tropes in horror um, or like any sort of like action suspense, you know, thing is the, you know, the black characters get killed first. And also like, you know, there wasn't just one in this film, which was nice. Yeah. And like, you know, I love, oh my gosh, um, 
what's his name with the roller skates? I love Nulls. So yeah, cute. Yeah. Just having him just, you know, roll around, uh, just being like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I got this. I was like, I, I love the level of joy that that Nulls brings to this, you know, to oh, this yeah. environment. The character dynamics just in general with all all of these guys, I thought was really unique. They were all very much... They're like none of them really blended together, which was nice. You have like the QAnon guy, right? Where he's like, uh, <laughs> did you like uh, where he's saying like aliens own South America and taught the Incas everything they know? And I was I like, mean, oh, cherry to the gods, cool. man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm buying it. Palmer? I'm here. I'm subscribing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cherry to the gods, man. And speaking of, uh, with the pacing. Because you have that scene that kind of is like a peak, and then it comes back down again. Yeah. But they really ramp up the tension again with the blood test portion of the movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Which is maybe one of the most tense scenes ever in a movie because you're just waiting. Well, because as soon as, uh, what is his name, it, like, essentially test positive? Palmer. Was it? Palmer does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then he like is like, Wah! and then Windows goes over and is like trying to do whatever. And then he just clamps his head and yeah. he's like throwing his oh fucking body around. I was <laughs> like, this is so chaotic. Yeah. Like what? Because well, they're the like trying to light absolute... the flamethrowers and they can't light them. The whole time he's just yeah. like, <laughs> like, get up. What do you stop it? Like you're supposed yeah. to be in charge. You fool. And then by that point. Uh, Windows is on the ground. He's like, oh, my flamethrower works, so I guess I have to kill him now, too. And you're like, oh, my God. (laughs) I also love that they looked terrified when, like, when when it wouldn't light, right? Like, because I feel like in so many other movies, it would have been like, fuck, 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 fuck. Oh, God, fucking work, you piece of shit. Or it would have been, like, just this unnecessary amount of attention. But, like, the fact that it was just them like staring there just like go go like just like all of that inner monologue was happening and yeah. i i liked that we didn't have to hear it, it- <laughs> yeah because yeah. i feel like then like that didn't take away from the moment it wasn't like a comedic beat for that to happen it was more yeah. of like a this is what matters and this is this person's absolutely justified terrified reaction right there's no yeah. silly one-liner yeah. about like the one time that i need you to blah blah or you know yeah yeah, th- yeah. there's yeah there's no modern convention of like oh let's put in a cool line here for this person well i or, will like, let's say be funny the one time yeah. they do try to be funny and they use the same joke like i think th- two or three times in a row is when he's like I love that everything's nice and good, but will you give me the fuck out of this chair or whatever? Like, I love that they, line. They do it because he does it. He does it. But then like right before him, I think yeah. one other character is like, well, that's great that we've accomplished this, but fucking untie me. Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. They, make, they make the same joke essentially a couple times yeah. in a row. And I felt like that sort of replaying of the same joke, I liked because it was like, if you're going to throw humor in there, just, yeah, I like that it's coupled in this one moment that's small and like, Silly and based and that, in and here. Those are almost comedic beats because the rest of the tests he tests and then like jump cuts to the person next to him helping him out test and it's like kind of funny. Oh like, yeah, every yeah, time yeah. it's like as they test his nulls next and then it it goes fine and then nulls is like holding the flamethrower and it tests childs. <laughs> and he's like, yes. all right, let me out, let me out. And then yes. hard cuts to to yeah. him helping. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're, love... they're very comedic beats. That whole yeah, that whole sequence, that like that moment, I thought was it was very fun, very funny. Yeah. Like, that was the comedy I wanted, not the like yeah. fuck the fuck this thing won't yeah, light. Yeah, yeah, right? not like yeah, 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 totally. Because like th- even those comedic beats didn't necessarily take away from the horror of what was happening. Yeah. So like, I love 
yeah, it wasn't doing anything that was unnecessary. It was it was a very intentional like cutting of the tension. You had this incredibly yeah. tense scene, and so how are we going to get to the next sort of dramatic build? Okay, cut it with these jokes. Like the way yeah. we're framing this, cool. It's over. We're in the the last act. It's about to fucking rage. Let's yeah. make sure people are back at base level so we can yeah. fuck their shit up again. <laughs> he says, uh, I know you gentlemen have been through a lot, but I'd like to not spend the rest of the winter tied to this fucking couch. Yeah. <laughs> That's the <Exactly>. <laughs> it was uh, It was great. There are so many good moments. I think as a whole, too, like even the ambiguity of the ending, right? Yeah, because like, yeah, I was going to get to that. What, what, did, what do you guys think of, of that particular part? I, I love it. I but I I'm sort of a sucker for that kind of a thing just in yeah. general where it's like I like movies as vignettes or moments in time where it's like time continues on and time happened previous where it's like I mean obviously a happy ending or a wrapped up ending where it's like a conclusive finite this is what happened this is the end of the story but I like the in this way I am a fan of this more what would be considered realistic approach to like, yeah, like we're still fucked. I guess mm-hmm. it's gone, but like, what are we gonna do now? We're gonna die out here. Maybe yeah. who knows? Who yeah. fucking knows? the The conflict of the movie is over, but the conflict of the rest of time, or like so the circumstantial yeah. conflict now, I weren't obviously not gonna get into it because that's a whole different movie essentially. But yeah, I like that it essentially just cuts to black. Like, yeah, we're fucked. I really liked it. I did too. I mean, I think that that's one of my favorite things about this film and about films that leave on like a more ambiguous note where like, you know, they they have, like you said, kind of wrapped up this story and literally there is nothing that these two characters can do at this point to change the outcome of what's going to happen. And I like that it just like sparks more conversation about what's going to happen. And like, you know, there's so many movies not so many movies, but a lot of my favorite movies do this or they just like give you this little nugget of like, yeah, but maybe Harrison Ford in Blade Runner was a replicant, you know, and like yeah. this, all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm here for this because to me, it feels like the storyteller is being more respectful of me in a certain way where it's like, you know, they are um, they know that I have a brain and they want me to use that. And yeah. um, and I think that that's why so many times, you know, it's hard to make a sequel or a good sequel to things because they wrap up so neatly and so perfectly. And so, you know, yeah. there's no yeah. ambiguity and all of that. But like with stuff like this, I think that also just adds to the horror of this is you know you don't know like sure maybe maybe it is dead right but also there's always going to be a question of what if and like even though this story is wrapped up that doesn't mean that the bigger themes or the bigger overall narrative is wrapped up you know like somebody's gonna go there and you know be like oh what the fuck happened here somebody's (laughs) gonna find that ufo over at the norwegian camp right like we are not done here but what's, um, and what so I, I like that it just it it doesn't pretend like it's done here, you know. Yeah, it does the thing where like obviously the setting of the movie is terrifying. Where they are, they're so isolated, not by anybody, and if anything happens, they're fucked. Like that's sort of just the base level groundwork for the setting. It's scary, like that's terrifying that place. Mm-hmm. Um, but to then be shown the other camp and like seeing the horrors post devastation of whatever happened here. Yeah. And then the ending being sort of the, oh, now that's us. 
Fuck. Yeah, I like, like the, the slow dissension <laughs> from like, you know, that, that was such great foreshadowing for them to go to the Norwegian camp, right? And to just yeah, see yeah, this yeah. like incredible battle that happened here, you know, and then you're just slowly watching the U.S. encampment just slowly descend into those moments, you know, where it's like, okay, we're going to flame this. Okay, we're stuck over here now. And then they just, like, grab all of their dynamite and start, like, blowing up literally. Yeah. 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 So I feel like setting it up with that Norwegian uh, camp and then, you know, was saying, like, this has happened before and all of this will happen again. One of my favorite tropes in (laughs) sci-fi. Because the story isn't done. Who's to say? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And in, in in within the fan community, it is obviously the most talked about part of the movie because it is the you know it's probably this part and then trying to determine the infection order is probably the two things that people talk about the most. Okay. Really? Um. Yeah. Is it's it's this this scene in particular because a lot of people try to find little clues about whether Childs is the thing or not because mm-hmm. that's obviously the question at the end is is Childs the thing mm-hmm. when he when he shows up. Uh, there's there's a lot of stuff that people try to point out. Like, you can't see his breath in the scene. You oh, can see McCready's oh. breath. But Dean Cunney was like, oh, yeah, that was just a mistake. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's not an actual <laughs> clue. Uh, we okay. just screwed that up. I fucking <laughs> hate it. I hate it when, when directors or, like, anybody involved with yeah. the movie come out and do that. Because, yeah. like, for me, one of the funnest things about loving a property or loving a, a film or a story so much is all of these wild theories. Like, yeah. I fucking – okay, I went off after uh, Last Jedi. Um, like, you know, um, love that Ryan Johnson film. Fucking great, right? Yes, I fucking went great. off. And then, like, you know, J.J. Abrams fucked everything else. Fucked but everything like, up, yeah. But yeah. what I love about it is coming together with the community and, like, coming up with these really incredible, thoughtful, like, totally. takes. And, like, you know, seeing these things that maybe – people didn't um or like the filmmakers or the people involved with the film didn't intend you know and there's there's also toxic fandoms where you know it's just like but i don't i I mean it can be yeah incredibly (laughs) problematic which is um really hard because because of a lot of reasons but yeah i just i love these fan theories and i love like you know coming up with oh and then did you see this and did you know this and like yeah and that's one of the funnest and one of my favorite parts about all of this and that's what got me really kept me interested in a lot of like pop culture properties and stuff like that was that sense of community and that sense of caring too and camaraderie you know like i just that's always the funnest part for me yeah oh yeah Yeah, i didn't realize there was a big thing community oh it exists for sure yeah yeah we exist uh and we talk about these things like the one of the theories is that okay so speaking of the ending he hands him a bottle of liquor right and he drinks it and then mccready starts laughing so they're covered in molotov cocktails and one of the theories is that he handed him one of those and then he drinks it and then he's like, he's an alien because he doesn't know what, that that's not alcohol. And so he's oh. a thing. Like, 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 that's one of, the, one of the theories being passed. Like, like there, there's a lot of stuff like that that people are like looking into try, which for the ending, trying to figure it out is not the point. <laughs> like yeah, the point is right. that the trust is gone and so we're fucked. Like as yeah. soon as that trust is gone, everybody's screwed. We can't win. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying yeah. to figure it out is completely counterintuitive to the intention of the film. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff where it's like, like I said, trying to determine the infection timeline, like who gets infected when, like stuff like when Blair touches 
the dead body thing with this pencil thing and then touches it to his lips. I'm like, that's when he's infected right there. Boom. Like, that's yeah. when it looks, like, like, like watching Love. it that many times and figuring that like whose shadow is that, that the dog approaches. It looks like either Palmer or Norris. Oh, like, like who right? is it? Like, cause of the, cause of the hair and all stuff like that. Like trying yeah. to figure out that timeline of who yeah. was with who and stuff like that. You know, like we're out there, we're doing that. And- You're doing the work. Yeah. <laughs> I love, I fucking stand so hard. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that, like, that even, you know, what, like, 40 years after this movie has come out, yeah. like, that these are still conversations that are, are being had. And I think that's the sign of, like, just actually a really incredible film and just, like, something that works on so many different levels. Like, we we had, like, uh, a queer reading of it and then, you know, that yeah. uh, article, which I really want to read, that you uh, you mentioned, like... There's just so many different ways that this can be interpreted, and I'm here for it. I fucking live for this, you guys. I, this is I, this is why I started this podcast because I, I just I want to talk about all of these things so bad. Yeah, what a what a cool movie. Yeah, I have something that I can end it with for sure. Well, first of all, uh, I want to mention this is part of Carpenter's uh, Apocalypse trilogy. Okay, what are the others? It's uh, the Thing, Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. All I've three never of seen which, any of those. Yeah, all three of which are movies about apocalyptic events, like things that can that will lead to the apocalypse of of planet Earth, which is it's obviously can because it said it's like twenty seven thousand hours if this reached civilization yeah. that humanity would be wiped, and so like they're they're all part of this kind of same theme, and uh, if we're okay to end this part of the discussion i'd like to read a quote from Roger Ebert's review of the film. <laughs> Ooh, fuck this up. Yeah, do it. The Thing is a great barf bag movie, all right, but is it any good? I found it disappointing for two reasons. The superficial characterizations and the implausible behavior of the scientists on the icy outposts. The Thing is basically just a geek show, a gross-out movie in which teenagers can dare one another to watch the screen. There's nothing wrong with that. I like being scared, and I was scared by many scenes in The Thing, but it seems clear that, that Carpenter made his choice early on to concentrate on the special effects and te- the technology and to allow the story and people to become secondary because this material has been done before and better, especially in the original The Thing and in Alien. There's no need to see this version unless you're interested in what The Thing might look while, while starting from anonymous greasy organs, extruding giant crab legs, and transmuting itself into dog. What movie did he watch? I have no idea. That was absolutely not this movie. <laughs> I mean, the dig against Alien, like, yeah, if you want to watch a better movie, go watch Alien. Like, ooh. Yeah. Or go watch, go watch the original. Like, yeah. like oh, my God, that, I will fight you. And I will fucking just fight you. such an incorrect statement. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that, that was the perception at the time of the movie coming yeah. out. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, too, that's just based on, like, there's a level of personalized highfalutin sort of like classics classist shit yeah. coming from his end where it's like, well, like the original text or whatever. Like if you go back to the the core of the work, um, that's what it just feels like. It's like, well, it's not as good as this. I mean, shut up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just so indicative of people that wrote about cinema for so long and taught totally, cinema yeah. for so long. Right. Because it was cinema. Right. It was, you know, this big, giant, grand capital C cinema thing. Whereas I love that we're getting away from that with, you know, having things like Netflix and having like streaming and things like that. (laughs) And I love that every that those old filmmakers are so pissed about it because totally. Yeah, (laughs) because to me, too, it's just like you were shitting on things like the thing. Right. Or 2001 Space Odyssey. And these are 
fucking incredible films. Yeah. What have you done? You tried to come back and do The Witches? Please. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, there's... it's capital C cinema versus Alien Ant Farm, the movies. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're living in a world now where this movie that he lauded so much, the original one, I would rather have a copy of Robo War in my house than that <laughs> fucking movie. That's the world we're I living wanna, in. I want to watch Robo War. That it's sounds, great. It's great. It's, uh, it's good, bad. Yeah, and uh, what I was going to say, too, is I'm thankful for, and I think he is too thankful for the failure of this movie because it led to, his career would have gone to a different place for sure if this had been a big hit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. uh, this was his biggest budgeted movie at the time. At the time, he was really distraught about it because it lost a ton of money. But then we wouldn't have gotten Christine. We wouldn't have gotten Starman. We wouldn't have gotten Big Trouble, Little China, probably if this movie had succeeded. So we could yeah. be thankful for that. So there's a level of, like, just instilling his cult legacy with the yeah. failure of this movie. Completely. The world yeah. just wasn't ready for him at the time. Yes. There's there's a meme that's constantly shared in the Thing Facebook groups, and it is Marty McFly when he's playing the guitar. And it says, <laughs> this is about the thing. And he says, oh, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But your kids are going to love it. <laughs> <laughs> We're back. From Antarctica and the North Pole. And the North Pole. Simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, wait. Jake, yes. can you say that thing that you told us in the break? Because I wanted to... So what I was saying, that, and it lends to the uh, the queer reading of the movie, is of that the, the, the 82 thing. 82. That the original tagline for the film was, man is the warmest place to hide. Which, I mean... <laughs> can again we can say for which for was like, written by the same guy that wrote in space no one can hear you scream Ooh. Same, oh my god same tagline okay. writer okay well, hold on no sorry we have to wait look i'm it sorry up. tagline writer is a profession and apparently yeah, yeah where do i sign up for this <laughs> i don't know <laughs> what is what is this person's name um i can't i let me look up the thing that's an 82 page because it was on there <laughs> i've never read this after one market research screening, Carpenter queried the audience on their thoughts, and one audience member asked, well, what happened at the very end? Which one was the thing? When Carpenter responded that it was up to their imagination, the audience member responded, oh, God, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking fantastic. Oh, my God. Oh, right here. boring. Uh, Stephen Frankfurt. That's who wrote it. Stephen Frankfurt? Yeah. Okay, I'm looking it up. Oh, wait. You know what? I'm really not finding anything. I'll look it up later. But I mean, I wonder because like also another iconic sort of like queer film, Alien, <laughs> like uh, for that. And then also just, I mean, man is the warmest place to hide. Hey, come yeah. on. Hey, no. now. Yeah, hey, yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we get what you're saying. Are made of. <laughs> yeah, we, we get it. Like, I, I hear you and I agree. Overall, I, like at the end of the day, I agree. <laughs> I feel like uh, he just wanted to make it overt that hey, this is the read that you should yeah. be. Uh, this is the lens you need when you're yeah. watching this. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you need you need to know going into this. <laughs> yeah. Um, how fun! I love that. Okay, Eric. Yes. The 1950s, the thing from another world. Who was this movie for? Mm, Big old sorry. yawn. I'm yawning. Was it because oh, it was a snoozer? It was Is for alarm why? clocks because <laughs> they are big old snooze button. It was a big old snooze button. Um, that I did. That was really not a good joke. I'm so sorry about that. Um, no, I. I mean, 
I think it was for movie theaters to to buy time. Fill time. <laughs> fill time. It was yeah. a filler. It's a filler queen for sure. Like that's all it was. It's like yeah. a filler episode before like television. Yeah, it was such it was there. such a filler. It was all filler. Unlike some 41's Pinnacle album, it was all filler, <laughs> no killer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. just nothing good came out of that. Jake, who do you think this is for? Roger Ebert and other people who are dead. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's who. That's Resident who enjoy this. Yes. I, <laughs> Say I the boomers. I, th- I feel like dead. that's relatively inarguable. Yeah, I think you're correct completely. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I this was hmm. for that dude that wanted his friend to be in the um Oh god. The director's oh, yeah. guild. Yeah. yeah. For Howard yeah. Hawks for Chris uh Nibby or whatever. He's like, you "Oh, this what? this is a shit movie that I don't want to like put Direct. my name on yeah. directing, but like it was probably like his like secret obsession. He always yeah. wanted to make this movie, but like he couldn't put his name on it. So it was like a no-brainer to like, you know, oh, my friend wants this. I want him to have this and um he could take credit for it and it won't tarnish my name. Perfect." Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Robert Zemeckis, get in here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, no, fantastic. I love. Eric, did you like it? No, the first one's bad. The first one is a snoozer. It's a big snooze fest. Um, there are elements that I like. I loved, again, the brooding homoeroticism. Big fan. Love it. I love the will they or won't they. I mean, honestly, foreplay is arguably the best part. So for me, I'm like, oh, if this was all foreplay for these guys, great. I love. <laughs> um, Monster was boring. Uh, story was boring. Dialogue was boring. It, I didn't like it. No. Gorge. Jake. Uh, it's a hard pass for me. Yeah. <laughs> and and that's on, on the R rating scale, which is pass, stream, rent, and buy. And it's hard and soft <laughs> in each one. Um, and this is a hard pass for sure. Hard pass. Don't, don't even waste your time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 100% for me too. It was a big old snooze fest. This, if this was a 10-minute short film, maybe. Maybe that would have made it better and more interesting because... Uh, I struggled to get through this one. Everybody, oh yeah, struggled. Just YouTube the scene of the guy on fire. Yeah, yeah that's really all you need. There's nothing interesting <laughs> about this movie. What about the 1982 version, Eric? Was this new, interesting, or the same? Progressive, regressive? How has the story evolved with today's ideals? I think it. I mean, I think it was like the general positive in in every capacity. I think it was. Progressive, just in in by way of storytelling, in general. I mean, it was a much better constructed narrative uh, and story. Character development was by far. I mean, the first one had none, <laughs> whereas this one had any. If and it was great. Um, so progressive, generally, I think it. I think today's ideals is hard to like qualify only for the fact that it came out in eighty two, <laughs> which was yeah. like ten years before my birth. Um, but <laughs> I think I think in general, given everything we discussed, I'd say it's pretty progressive in its ideals. I guess yeah. Wait, what am I saying? Yes, positive, <laughs> bo- good thumbs up all around. How about yeah. you, Jake? <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. It's you know, it's I think it has unlike the the previous version it has something to say about something. Mm-hmm. I think that it's not very, it's not, you know, even even close to as superficial uh, as the previous version. In fact, I don't think it's superficial in any way. I think it's got a lot going on for it in terms of um, its intentions. And uh, even just from a technical filmmaking standpoint, I just think it's like so much more progressive compared to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I'm biased. It's my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's okay. We uh, we yeah. stand too. Yeah. yeah. So you know, we we fight on this podcast about um, movies that we stand for no reason, even though yeah. they're bad movies. Um, which this is not. Um, yeah. Sometimes even if it's garbage, I'm like, is it hot? Problematic trash. Yeah. yeah. Will I watch? But it a it's a heist times? movie, and Absolutely. I love oh, heist yeah. movies. It's a heist yeah, movie, totally. and I'm here for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think in every way this film is new and interesting. Um, I think the elements that were the same were all just really background, like uh, like in terms of like watching the first one gave me more appreciation and more context for what happened at the Norwegian camp and stuff like that. So that kind of felt like a little Easter egg for me. Um, but I think that it's hard not to be new and interesting when the first one is just, even at the time, I'm sure it felt old and it like, you know, it felt just dated in its storytelling and in its flat characters and in its just in the way that it just exists to fill time. So it's anything that this film did would have been more interesting than that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I do think that it was more progressive in terms of like looking at the queer subtext. I don't, I'm not sure if like any of that was overt or like with the queer and the feminist um, uh, subtext that we talked about, but I'm sure that some of it, some of it had to be intentional. Um, I feel like there was too much there for even just like even just like a little bit just like that tagline like you were saying jake like oh yeah just yeah. just at the very least even if nobody else caught on like it was for that person that wrote that tagline right yeah so i feel like there was just these little um moments of nuance that even if it was just one person's decision and nobody else caught on like there was intent behind a lot of that yeah. um as far as evolving with today's ideals I like that looking at it as a critical viewer, I'm looking at it and I, you know, back when I first watched it, it's like, oh yeah, McReady's the dude, he's got it, you know, but looking at it now in the year 2021, I'm like, man, he sucks and he's the worst one and he's so <laughs> problematic and he's like, you know, and I yeah. like that the film doesn't really reward him for any of his behavior, you know, like when you look at it, he's the one that actually kills everybody and Childs is like, you know, says like, look, you killed, like you killed that guy and he you're wasn't, yeah, he, <laughs> you're a fucking murderer, you know, yeah. and more to what Jake was saying about the portrayal of toxic masculinity in this space, like like really just showing that at the end of the day, all that creates is more violence. And what that does is just, you know, destroy society as a whole, you yeah. know? Yeah. So looking at it that way is just um, really great for me personally. Yeah. And I got a lot yeah. more out of it than I expected. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. But um, I, I think that it's evolved um, with today's ideals in a really interesting, nuanced way, because I think... If somebody tried, I mean, I guess they did try to remake the thing already, but I doubt that it would be as incredibly nuanced as as this film is in its terms of its characterization and what it's saying. Um, Hell yeah, Eric, who was this movie for? I don't know. I was gonna I was gonna make a joke and be like, it's for the the idea of gay panic, <laughs> just in general, the ethereal notion of. Like, like, say, a lavender scare or a queer panic or, like, gay panic, what have you. That's who I think it was for. It was for that idea. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jake? Um, It's kind of a boring answer, but I think it's for just about anybody because, like, as you were saying, 
Um, there's so much you can take away from this mm-hmm. as far as reading, as far as if you want to go deeper. But I think also if you just want to have a box of popcorn and watch this, it's also enjoyable on that level too. Like it's enjoyable oh, yeah. just a film, <laughs> but it's also enjoyable if you want to, you know, take it to the next level and actually look at what it's trying to say. I definitely agree. Um, I think that it was for, I think it was for Cineboomers. I think. <laughs> I, I think it, <laughs> I think that it was to try to rile them up and, yeah. you know, like I'm kind of obsessed with that review that you read, uh, Jake. It's and pretty crazy, yeah. I kind of want that to be a segment now on each, uh, <laughs> on each episode. I want yeah. to read a, re- a prominent review and, from somebody of the Ebert time. An Ebert review every time. Yeah. Oh my God, it's so good. Just what incredible. Is, what does Siskel think? <laughs> <laughs> um, Eric, did you like yes. it? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I think it's a fantastic movie. I was so entertained. I thought it was fun. I thought it was scary. I thought it was engaging. Again, even like as Jake was saying, even from a completely like surface textual level, it's an enjoyable movie, even if you're not looking at sort of like the social commentary or some of the more subtextual stuff like we just did. But even with that, it's even more interesting movie. I think it's it's fantastic. Yeah, I get I get why this is your favorite movie, Jake. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um I'm still gonna ask you, Jake, did you yeah. like it? <laughs> yeah, it's my uh, favorite movie of all time. I am a. I like to consider myself a horror cult and exploitation aficionado, and out of all the movies I've seen, this is uh, for, in every level for me. Technically, the acting, uh, the score, everything just fires on all cylinders and uh, <laughs> creates what for me is a perfect movie. Yeah, absolutely. I love this movie. Um, I love like you guys were saying that uh, you could just like sit there and critique the shit out of it and 40 years later still be having these conversations about like theories about the film and like just getting really into that and i also love that you could also just put it on and just it could be on and you can just have a great sunday afternoon because i watch scary movies during the day because i'm (laughs) a baby um I did have to watch a couple episodes of Sailor Moon after this. I want you guys to know needed a <laughs> oh, palate cleanser before bed, because um, I'm a I'm a big old baby when it comes to scary movies. <laughs> but I love that that you don't have to come into this with any sort of like reading. You don't have to come into it wanting to get something out of it. You don't have to come into it like being smart or being educated. This can just be like enjoyed no matter who you are on any level and the accessibility of that is one of the things that i love yeah before before we like officially end end i just want to come back to that tagline because i keep thinking about it yeah and i'm like why did he use the term warm like that's the most that is the most inarguable it is strange gay (laughs) gay portion of that like you could have put safest you could have said man is the safest place to hide. Like yeah. still gives the same vibe, but you said warmest. Hey, hey now. Warm. <laughs> warm in this context, warmest is so fucking loaded. Yeah. It's a fully loaded nacho. You know what I mean? It's just thick with gay text. Gaxed, if you Gext. will. Yeah. Gaxed. Yeah. Sorry. I just said I I can I literally can't stop thinking about it. I think it's uh wild and what a choice to use the term warm, <laughs> warm. In, yeah. in that context. Truly. My God. 
I think that's it for us. We did it. Look at us. We're here. Uh, thank you so much, Jake, for no joining problem. us. Uh, this was so delightful. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah, Jake. Thank <laughs> you. I think as soon as you guys started this podcast, I messaged Eric. And I was like, we need to talk about the thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything that you want to plug, Jake? Yeah. you know, I'll just go through everything. Uh, lightweight, that band Lightweight. Lousy Advice, the band. Lousy Advice, the podcast. The Dead of Night podcast launching next week or this week. And um, also, I was going to mention, follow me on Letterboxd at Diggum. Letterboxd is the best social media. <laughs> um, and everybody should have one. And I'm Diggum on there. Okay. I see you post about this all the time <laughs> on Instagram. I see like, this is my rating. What is Letterboxd? It's basically just a social media where you follow each other and rate movies. And that's it. You just see other people's movie ratings and reviews. And that's literally it. So then I can like theoretically find my like my movie best friend on there and be like, yeah. oh, this is. Oh, and then, well, and then at the end of the year, at the end of the year, it gives you how many movies you watched, what you ranked everything, all that stuff like that. The, the, the director you watched the most it gives you all these like stats and stuff. It's a fun way to track your watching. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. Is that just I for feel... film or does that also include television? There's television on there because I like rated WandaVision and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, anyways, um, thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and all of the places. It really helps us um, with visibility. And yeah, we also have a Patreon, so you can become a patron of our show. We just dropped a hot episode about Sailor Moon and the Da Vinci Code and LA Cop Gangs. We were all over the place (laughs) in that episode. So um, visit our Patreon. The link is in the show notes. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all of the places, because we love you. Artwork was by Eric Lefebvre, editing by Danny Barkley. And thank you, Eric and Jake. Thank you, Jess and Jake. Thank you, Jess and Eric. (laughs) (laughs) And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye. 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 This podcast has been brought to you by the Nostalgia Network. Visit thenostalgianetwork.com for more. Hey everybody, I'm Eric. I'm Shelby. I'm Jake. And we are the band Lousy Advice from the Lousy Advice Podcast. Come listen as we draft artists and genre-centric best-of lists. With the help of our closest friends. These lists are canon. And there's not a goddamn thing you can do about it. From misfits to share. Green Day to Gaga. Or Pup to Paramore. Listen to the Lousy Advice Podcast now or else. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, the Nostalgia Network, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that we are the band Lousy Advice, and this is our podcast, the Lousy Advice Podcast. The Lousy Advice Podcast? The Lousy Advice Podcast. Podcast. Podcast.